This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. It's a real zuchos, at least for me, to be here this morning in the presence of our topic is where's the next generation of Jewish leadership coming from? Absolutely. Good morning. My name is Nathan Adler. Um, it's a zuchus for me to be here this morning. The topic this morning for the panel is where is the next generation of Jewish leadership coming from? And I think there's no debate that we're sitting among four leaders of the Jewish community right now, Rabbi Adlerstein, Moish Bain, the Rosh Hashiva, and Rabbi Hauer. So there's no better forum to find out where's the next generation coming from since we're sitting with four leaders of our current generation. I want to begin with something which I saw in the newspaper this past week to start our discussion this morning. There was an article um, quoted in the Washington Post, which was quoting the Times of London, in which they did an interview with one of our current political leaders. And they asked him the following question, which I will in a moment pose to our panel, which is, who is your hero, or who are your heroes? Who do you look for for inspiration? And after sort of beating around the bush for some period of time, this political leader mentioned that his father was very good with negotiating, but then he basically brought it back to himself, and he essentially, it was sort of stream of consciousness, but he essentially said that he was sui generis, that he was, and you'll pardon my Latin pronunciation, I, I skipped that class in high school, um, but he basically <laughs> said that he was, he is a, he is brand new to the political scene, and so, therefore, he really doesn't have any heroes that he needs to look for for inspiration. And so my first question for the panel this morning is, before we talk about where is the next generation of Jewish leadership coming from, I think we first need to define what is a Jewish leader and who do these Jewish leaders admire as heroes, as leaders of our community today or in the past. And I think I will begin first with the Rosh Hashiva. Um, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the devil's advocate, but growing up in the Yeshiva world, what we normally think of as leadership, which is very active, um, outgoing, focused person, making revolutions and so on, was really in a, a lot of ways... Um, sort of contrary to a lot of what we got, and maybe later at some point I'd, I'd like to discuss it, but I would define the word leadership not in terms of the man who made the great revolution that overturned the world and so on. And I think if we, if we define it that way, we're asking for trouble in many ways. I think it's a person that feels achrayas. Um, just once something small comes to mind, I was in South Africa in the summer, and I met Rabbi Goldstein, and then I saw the, the Shabbos thing, and everybody's amazed at his leadership and so on. There's a story behind the story. There were two tells in a light that made a yeshiva in South Africa that had three bachrim, and that's all they ever saw out of it. One of those three bachrim happened to be Rabbi Goldstein. The leadership to me, what we can train and what you need to train for is not make this thing that will have a half a million people keep Shabbos, but you have a tafkid and a chrayis in the world. Um, one person might be to have yeshiva three people, and one person might be to run a Shabbos program. But a chrayis 
and a tafkid, I think, is the way I would define it from 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 my chinuch's standpoint. Rabbi Howard. Um, I would uh, I would mention my Rebbe's hero as uh, the, what he put up for us as a semel as a as uh, as an ultimate Jewish leader. My Rebbe Zechariah Levracha was uh, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, she was near Israel, and the 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 person who he spoke about as the one who he admired very profoundly and admired very profoundly as a Jewish leader was Rav Aaron Kotler. And he spoke of him that way because he said to Rav Aaron, there was nothing except Kal Yisrael. He didn't have his organization. He didn't have his yeshiva. He used to say the story. It's a famous story about Rav Aaron, a great story about Rav Aaron. The Rav Aaron was once Masader Kiddushin at a student's wedding. And uh, a week later, he got a check in the mail from the father of the chassan, a nice check. And... Um, and uh, a few weeks later, the Talmud's father calls up the Rosh Hashiva, calls up Rav Aaron, and he said, Rosh Hashiva, I want to thank you again very much for coming to be Masada Kedushin at my son's wedding. But uh, I, I, the Rosh Hashiva didn't understand. I left, uh, I, I wrote the check, I left it for you, it was for you. It wasn't for the yeshiva. And I saw that you, that you cashed the check, you gave the check to the yeshiva. And Rav Aaron said, really? It was for me? So then I would have given it to Chenechat <laughs> Smoy. <laughs> and so that's, Rabbi Weinberg spoke about him this way very, very passionately, that he, he was a leader because he was completely not trying to advance his own thing or his own place, but just passionate Yemen Velayla for what the Jewish people needed. From a uh, Balabas's perspective, the term leader is a very difficult term and in some ways is misleading and in some ways offensive. Because I think that the way a Balabas should look at his role is not as a leader, but rather as an askan, as someone who's contributing. Because leadership has a dimension <laughs> of gaiva, if I want to be a leader. And someone who tells me, I want to be a leader when I grow up, I say, you shouldn't be a leader. I mean, it's very dangerous. And the question is, so what, what does that mean, to, to play a role as a leader? And we have many, many ways of defining it. I would suggest, of course, responsibility is a threshold issue, but there are two types of people involved in any community dy- dynamic. One is somebody who assists, who reacts, who advises, and most rabbinic and lay people are in that role. There are very few people who are initiators, And Rabbi Lapiansky pointed out before that initiation could be on many different scales, but they all have a common denominator, and that is being the person to initiate. The initiation may be to teach students. The initiation may be to start a program. The initiation may be to start a community. But that really is what we talk about when we talk about leadership. It's very hard for me to envision somebody who is in a passive, responsive role to be called a leader. Having said that, I think in the yeshiva world, we expand the term leadership in much broader sense. And in essence, what we see is anybody who we respect is a leader. I don't know that that's the same thing. I think it may be confusing to some degree or another. I think someone who's a godol in writing tshuvas or a godol in being a balaitza when people come to him is certainly a godol and someone who's invaluable to the future and presence of Klai Yisrael. But I don't know that when we talk about 
being a leader, what is a leader, I don't know that that's what's intended, nor do I think that being a gadol requires to be a leader. And we, maybe the biggest gadol are people that we never heard of. But when we talk about leadership, in my view, I think what leadership is, is um, initiative. My, uh, my thanks to you for making the first one so easy. <laughs> Who are your heroes in my Adler's team? <laughs> well, funny you should ask. <laughs> we had a conversation among ourselves in preparation for this, and it was Rabbi Hauer who mentioned how many different types of leaders uh, people might be thinking about, uh, how many institutions we have, none of which are going for lack of leadership. And we keep on producing more, and they, and they get led, and they get led with a harais, with responsibility. Um, my perspective is, I guess, of uh, coming from the blogosphere, where you get... That's the next discussion. That's, that's, that's the two, you're mixing <laughs> up the two discussions. <laughs> where you get the complaints about, there's no leadership, but we don't have adequate leadership. The kind of leadership that I'd like to introduce here is, I, I guess, in the words of the Gemara, uh, in a Hespid for, was it Avramavinu? Oy lesvina sha'avad kabernito. The ship that doesn't have a captain is often the way some people look at the collective ship of the Torah state. There is a kind of leadership that goes beyond achrayas, beyond responsibility, beyond being a malach or near malach that you have nothing else that you're worried about. It requires two other things. It requires the Chochmah to be Roa es Hanolad, to see that things have changed and that every generation has new challenges and that those challenges can't be met with the tools of the last generation. That, uh, in the words of a famous Rav, whose name I forgot from Haifa, about two generations ago, the mitzvah of learning history comes from a pasuk that also says not only but know the shinui the difference between one generation and another a leader has to have the vision to see what's happened and I would go, take it a step further to be the roa as hayilod not only the nolad but what's coming around the bend and have the plates to figure it out and to at least offer some leg up on meeting some of those challenges. And in the last stage, sorting out the different possibilities and the different paths and routes that people can go, and with Gedola Yisrael, figure out which of those possibilities are appropriate for our community. In short, it requires creativity, and vision. Rabbi Hauer, I think you have, among the four, developed a program for leadership. Could you speak to what are some of the educational approaches to developing Jewish leadership? What are the best ones? And can you, you describe, please, some models with, with proven effectiveness at creating the next generation of leadership? I'm just trying to decide whether I should take the lead from my colleagues, because the last question you asked, who is your hero? 
and I'm the only one who actually named who is my hero. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got the question. <laughs> so which, which other question should I address when you ask me this one? about the article in the Washington Post. Okay. What works? What works. What, what I, I think that there are two, uh, that there are two uh, simple, very simple ingredients. I like to ex express things you know, simply and straightforwardly, which, which I would identify for starters you know, in, this, in, this, uh, in this field. Uh, I have uh, an experience frequently, I, should, I shouldn't say frequently, maybe that's overstating. I have an experience that's not infrequent of... Um, Having someone come to our community, I live here in Baltimore, someone comes and they move to Baltimore from a much smaller town. And they come in and they move in and they say Shalom Aleichem and they take a seat somewhere, you know, like four rows from the back near the wall. And uh, they just, they're there. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later you encounter someone who says, oh, did you meet so-and-so who just moved to Baltimore? Yes you discover that this person, where they came from, was everything. In their community, they ran the Hebra Kedisha, they were the vice president of the school, they, they, they laned whenever uh, the Balkaire wasn't available, and they come into a larger community like Baltimore and a bigger place, and where there are people already on the Hebra Kedisha, and there's somebody already laning, and they just disappear. And they don't take or assume the responsibility that they used to. In a sense, that's a, a metaphor, I think, for our, what we have in our community, which Baruch Hashem has grown, the Jewish community generally, which has grown, where if people realize that they're needed, they step up. If people feel that everything's being done and being taken care of, then they don't. And it, leadership uh, training is a fancy word which has all kinds of very interesting programs which are developed with courses and curricula. I think the most basic ingredient is being able to tell people that you have something to contribute to the Jewish world. As Ramesha spoke about responsibility, the issue of responsibility versus leadership, there's something you can do. There's a difference that you can make. And just bringing that out so you put people around the table, you say, here we are, we're going to talk about leadership, we're going to talk about responsibility. It just switches something in people's minds for them to be able to understand that they can do something, that they can make, they can make a difference. And we have tons, Baruch Hashem, of raw, of raw talent. The second ingredient, and the, the quote-unquote leadership uh, training things which, which, which I do are, are very, very informal. And the way they work, sort of, is to speak to a lot of the things that Rav Yitzchak brought up uh, in his you know, excellent arc articulation of what it takes to be a leader, which is you know, to, to talk about the issues which are facing us. Just what's the curriculum? The curriculum is what's on our mind this week? What's going on in the Jewish world? How are we going to address this thing down the line? Engage people in a conversation. <coughs> share with them your insight, bring out from them their insight, get people to start thinking about the world around them. Think about what's coming around the bend, think about, think about the stuff which is facing you and giving you that deer-in-the-headlights look that many times we, we, we find ourselves. 
having and uh, engage in thinking about <coughs> what's happening in the world and perhaps how we could steer things gently, slowly, and effectively in a different direction. And, and, I, and I, I, I found both of these things do really make a difference. Again, I don't have surveys or studies, but just uh, anecdotally, <laughs> that's what I find. Baruch Hashem, um, my wife and I are Zoka to have daughters, and I want to ask the approaches that work in fostering and developing leadership among men, what are approaches that work for women? The women of our community need a leadership as well. And the, that leadership is not necessarily going to be just men. It's going to be other women as well. How do you develop leadership among women? And I'll open up for anybody on the panel. You're I have no, absolutely no idea. <laughs> I, I don't think they're substantially different. Um, for anybody who wants to have an application for Yeshiva Smarat, no. Wrong session. <laughs> wrong session, wrong convention, <laughs> wrong planet. Um, Are there different I, approaches? I think, Is it all the same? I think a corollary to what Rabbi Hauer spoke about, and I'm, I'm not sure everybody, I'm not sure everybody here understands the beauty of what Rabbi Howard does. It, it sounded like, like a nice mission statement, but in Rabbi Howard's shul, it goes well beyond the mission statement. Rabbi Howard handpicks people of different age groups and forms chaburos, meets with them once or twice a week to do just the things that he mentioned. So it's not just pie in the sky, this would be a wonderful thing to do. He brings them in the room and says, okay, guys, let's do it hoping that in the process people learn something both about achrayis, about responsibility, and how to think through the issues that face us and what solutions are going to work. So I think that there are lots of opportunities theoretically open to people in, in that. I'm feeling pretty old, um, not only because I've, I've been involved with AJOP, I think, since the second year of being here, but I actually go back further than that. Let's take somebody we know as a leader, Itchy. How did Itchy become a leader? So I happen to have the Swiss of being a regional advisor for NCSY at Itchy's first regional convention. Why is that important? Only because looking back, I can tell you that the majority of young men and women who were doing NCSY on Shabbos or Torah Leadership Seminar, Olavashalom for YU, the majority of them, Ruvam Kakulam, wound up in positions of leadership in the community. And it wasn't because they were picking leaders. It was because if you put people in a situation where they have something to offer, they may decide, wow, this is great. This really gives me a feeling of fulfillment. There's a part of me that's never been actualized and they're telling me the Rebbe Shalom actually wants me to do this. So it comes with its, with its rewards. One of the epiphenomenon of the great growth of Torah in America since that time is that we've done such a great job in building yeshivas, in narrowing down the focus of what B'nai Torah and B'nos Torah look at, that there are fewer and fewer opportunities 
for people to try their hand in the formative years before they get burdened with the exigencies of married life and parenting, where they can get bitten, stricken by, by, the, by the bug. Uh, I may be jumping the gun and suggesting right. a solution, but I, I think that one of the things that we have to look at, obviously in a way that's not going to break the great bank of the yeshivas, which is the crown jewel of the Torah community, but there used to be ways, Ben Azmanin. There still are ways. Um, plug. I run a program once a year called uh, Tikva. We have uh, Tikva for men and Tikva for women by application only, but it does take curious young men and women and just expose them to political thought and the idea of a Christ. Five days, a week-long program. We need more programs like that. We need people, I'm sure... Mr. President, will arrange for summer internships. My institution, Simon Wiesenthal Center, I take interns for the summer. Not because they do anything for the Simon Wiesenthal Center, but because I'm looking to create another generation by having them try it out and saying, wow, this stuff is terrific. First week that I took my interns last summer, I had two people Yes, one was chromosomally challenged. I did take a female. (laughs) And the two of them, in the space of two days, did such great research that their lines wound up in an op-ed we wrote. By the end of the week, they saw it published in a major publication. They're in for life now. There are other organizations that could be, should be, somehow working with young people and saying, you want to see what this is like, what the real world is like? Let's show it to you from the inside. What do we do to produce Jewish leadership in our community? The um which was written for younger people. There's a, a sequel, Hashar Savechim, for young men, but Chavas is for young about younger people. And in the Hakdama, which is uh, incredible, he says the reason that so many adults are messed up is because they were brought up to be incredibly good children rather than brought up to be incredibly good adults. And the characteristics and personality traits that it takes to be a great child are in many ways contradictory to what it takes to be a great adult. I have a suspicion that to the extent that we view there to be an obstacle to the creation of leadership, it's not for the absence of developing leaders, but rather we're affirmatively developing non-leaders. And part of our culture, part of our mahalach of chinuch, both men and women, is to develop the personality traits that make you a follower. And therefore, it's very difficult to say, well, why aren't we creating leaders if our agenda is to create followers? And I'm not saying that that's a wrong agenda. Maybe that's exactly the kind of agenda you need in an environment that's so um, apt to areas outside of the spectrum of acceptable behavior and Torah values. And maybe that's a conscientious or non-conscientious decision, but it's clearly evidenced by much of what we do in many spectrums of our upbringing of our children and the chinuch of our children in formal education. And the question is, is there a way to either soften the degree of frustration of the talents and inclinations towards leadership that will not be threatening to the system, 
I don't know. But I think that if we want to achieve what you're describing, we have to consider that. And number two is, are there affirmative things that we might introduce that would also not be inherently contradictory? And I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that's the case. I suspect that by and large, and I think one of the questions inherent in your question is, is leadership developed or is it inherent? I think that it has to be inherent. I think that many inherent leaders are frustrated and stymied and therefore don't realize that inherent inclination and capability. And there are some people whose drive is so strong that it overcomes. But I think the question shouldn't be what we should do to develop leadership, but rather we should reexamine what are we doing that's styming leadership. Let me, can I, I, I was going to say, can I, I get to rebuttal? Yeah, the Rosh Hashiva could address that. And address, I, I think Moish picked up on a point Rabbi Wine has written before, is leadership a built-in personality trait hardwired into us from the moment we're born, or is it rather an acquired societal trait that can be taught and inculcated into others? So let, let me, I, I mean, I, I would like to discuss, because I think, I think it, it touches, it's, it's touching on a certain raw nerve, which I think if people would understand it properly, it, they would understand the resolution of it. Maisa um, Shahaya, I taught Nesha Torah for a few years, and there was, it sort of went through different kufis of emphasizing Kirov versus personal growth and, and learning, and like, you know, it, it, it always had its, its cyclic uh, its sort of wavering between the two, and there's one, the Tkufa that I came in was a Tkufa when they decided to focus on learning. And one of the people had been very active in Kirov, had very, not learned all that much before. I, I was learning with him personally, and he was really getting into it. He really enjoyed it. He's a very fine fellow, bright fellow. On Hanukkah, they had a skit. They had skits, Hanukkah skits. This person said he's going to read a poem he wrote, and it's called Blood on My Gemara. And the point was, I'm sitting in Gemara, I'm enjoying it, I'm thrilling with it. My brother's intermarried, my parents are frying, going to Gehenim, and their blood is on my hands. And that blood is splattered all over the Gemara I'm learning. So, Vateyom Kolair. Um, the Rebbeim said it's a Pikursus Gemura. Reb Noach said there are Pikursus Gemurim. And, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of. A, and he came and asked me the next day what I think. And I had a job to save. You know, I was at a family to feed. When you have a family to feed, your mind works hard. So I told him the following. And, I, and I, I, besides saving the job, I also believe this is true. <laughs> I told him, if a person sits and learns Gemara, and he's shakua because he loves it, and he doesn't do kiruv, doesn't reach out because he couldn't care all that much for other people, there's a lot lacking. If somebody's busy being makarov, because he dreads the ideas he might have Gemara. He's just, he's just the, you know, all over the place and, and, and just fits the personality, also doesn't he? I said, the, the, the honest truth lies in a tension between the two. Um, yeshivas, there's a reason why. There's a Rambam that says, incredible Rambam, more in the The Rambam, it picks a few prokim in, a few prokim in Chumash that seem to t- teach us no lesson. And one of them was the Melochim that, that were in Asa before Melochim Melch Yisrael. The end of Ayishlach, a kind of a footnote to a footnote to, to an excursa. Uh, you know, what, what, who does it interest? You know, what, what does it do? So yes, in Kabbalah, that's a big thing. Tachlis, pshat. So Ramam says an incredible mahalach. He says, the Torah says, A king has to be one of your own. The Torah is giving us, showing us, 
an example. He said all of these kings were kings in Edom, and they were not Edomites. They all came from different places, and they took of Kaparas. He said a king has to be of the flesh and the blood. So Rebaran Kotler was unique in that he was the core of learning and the, and the core of, of, of lighting other fires. So in, in really what a yeshiva does ideally is there's a certain age when you tell a boy, develop yourself. Don't run around running programs because it's an excuse for not developing your own gishmak and, and fire and learning and so on and so forth. And then there's an age when you need to say there's a Christ. And that's why, and I think some of your question about the women and this question as long as leadership is a flyer with somebody saving 590,000 people and this and that and that, it, it, we're going to have a problem because not everybody goes for that. And, and I don't honestly think leadership means the guy who's a big masvid in yeshiva, and there's a guy sitting next to him that if he would learn with him a half hour, he would, he, he would, he would do differently. He needs to say, this is my achrayas. And there's a guy over there that if I said hello to him in the morning, a smile, me as the best buff in yeshiva saying hello to him, it, 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 leadership means I think of myself as pulling other people. I want, I don't want to hog all the time. There's another Rambam Monavuchim I want to read, just a line, because it's incredible. It's this week's, in this week's parasha. He speaks about Meishu Rabbeinu getting up and defending um, the, the Jew who was hit, the Benos Midian. The Rambam says, what is Ruach Hashem? Batizach Ruach Hashem. And the Rambam says, it's in, it's in Beis Memhei. He says, the first Madrega of Nevoah is a person gets a sudden divine urge or surge that drives him to do something big like saving a, a group of people from, from people that are running after them, to, to be mashpia to a lot of people. And he finds himself just uplifted and motivated to do it. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu's first, the first sense that he's divinely inspired is that he stood up for someone who's being hit, he stood up for the Benos Midian, and so on and so forth. Ramam is not user-friendly. doesn't tell us how we develop those programs or if this comes with Mela or whatever. I just, I just felt the need to share because it's incredible. If you ask yourself, where does much money first? The Ramam says these few incidents showed a surge of I must stand up to your occasion. But the occasion could be after somebody next to me depressed, not doing well, and I give the time. That's, that's standing up for something. But by Howard, Sorry. Is, le- no, is leadership so. organic or you can't wait for someone to step up to the plate because maybe they won't step up to the plate. And so how do you develop those silent spectators who aren't stepping up to the plate, who should step up to the plate, who should take a chryas? How do you put the fire in the belly of the next generation and say, okay, this is how it worked now. We're turning the torch over to you. We're expecting you to bring us, you know, you're the next link in the Masora. How do you, how do you energize that next generation and, ex, you know, get them to step up to the plate because... The reality is that not everyone will step up to the plate. Not everyone wants to take up on that uprise. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> a, a few thoughts. They may even actually relate to your question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think leadership is, is uh, something which people are born with, except I think that every single person in the world is born with it. Uh, Rav Chaim Lozhner had a famous, had a piskum which was made famous that is that his son mentions in the, the introduction to Nefesh Hachaim that Adam Nivra. This is the nature of a person. A person isn't created for themselves, but to help others in any which way which he can. 
which is leadership, it's responsibility. And he says that's what every single person in the world was created for. That doesn't mean, again, that they're heading an organization with five branches or with, with that affects 500,000 people every year, but everybody on some level is expected to be a leader to take responsibility for others. That's something which everybody's born with. There may be some skills which make people more natural and capable at being a big public persona that's going to be able to take a broader leadership uh, uh, spheres, the kind of things that even Chazal speak about, where the person has certain gifts that make them more naturally respected and command, uh, command the, the attention of others. But fundamentally, it's something which everybody, which, which everybody has. Uh, part of leadership, of course, is that you take responsibility. And I think, you know, in, as far as our discussion, I hope that we can continue to take it in a direction where what we do is take responsibility. It's not up to anybody else to develop leaders. It's not up to anybody else to develop leaders. It's not up to us to, to be able to look at, at, at why leaders don't exist as much as what we can do to be able to help create them and cultivate them and, 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 and make it happen. Uh, I had the difficult experience of sitting together with a, with a number of, of wonderful busy, busy Rabbonim, really wonderful, outstanding, wonderful, busy Rabbonim, and I told them about just this, this sort of like thing, which, I, which we do on the side, which Rabbi Adlerstein mentioned before. And I said, you know, it's like, it's been one of the greatest investments of time of my career, because, you know, these people have gone on to be the biggest community <laughs> helpers, Askanim, interested, it's, it's fantastic. It's a small investment of time, and it produces a wonderful thing. And I proposed, why don't you start a chabura, you start a chabura, you start a group like that, and then maybe we can even get them together, you know, on occasion. And uh, I'm not blaming anybody, but the fact of the matter is not one of those people started such a chabura because we're too busy taking care of everything by ourselves to share responsibility and to cultivate the people who are going to take responsibility themselves. And uh, there's lots more to say. I just want to say, just just, just want to want to share a line, which is a fantastic line, and a story. The line, which is the fantastic line, is one which Rabbi Jonathan Sachs quotes regularly from the Lubavitcher Rebbe Zechariah Levracha, and he says that a great leader is not somebody who has followers, who creates followers, but a great leader is someone who creates leaders. And uh, of course, that's the that's that's that was his whole methodology, in a in a significant way. The great story is that um, I, I, in the Yeshiva Sinai Yisrael here in Baltimore, as you may know, it's a campus offer itself. And one winter, there was a tremendous snowstorm, and the snowstorm came. I guess it must have come in the middle of the night. But the kitchen staff, which lived in the city of Baltimore, deep in the city of Baltimore was basically snowed out, and they weren't able to show up. So you had a yeshiva campus with, I don't know, 600 people, you know, expecting to eat their meals there every day, and there was no staff. And a young man in the yeshiva, his name, his name is Mordechai Gottlieb, uh, he, uh, he got together a few guys, and they, sh they went to Bill Goldberg, who, was, who is in charge of the kitchen, and they said, we're here at your service. We're ready to help to make sure that the that the Bahram are fed. Um, after the storm, when things got back to normal, this young man who was a Bahram, the yeshiva, he was 19 years old. 
he got a letter from Rabbi Neuberger, who taught anybody. He was Rabbi. I'm sorry. He got after this was over. He got a letter from Rabbi Neuberger, who, although he was the executive, so to speak, of the yeshiva, but he was one of the most impactful rabbeim in the yeshiva, though he didn't teach us a blat gemara. He got a letter from him, and he said, uh, Dear Mordechai, I understand and I've heard about what you did during the storm to make sure that the Bachram were, were continuing to be fed. Yashakach, uh, I'm very grateful for you doing that. And then he wrote, Experience has shown that young men who take this kind of responsibility when they're Bachram in the yeshiva continue on to be great Bale Achrayas and leaders in their community in the future. Signed, Rabbi Naftali Neuberger. That was genius. It was genius, and it worked. Mordechai Gottlieb is a wonderful Balach Reis in the Baltimore community. It worked because what he did was, and like you said, tamu uru kitoiv. They tasted it. He had the experience of taking responsibility and seeing that it could make a difference. He was brought into, so to speak, that circle of responsibility that sometimes seems to be like a huddle that nobody gets let into, and they had the experience of doing something, and Bezos Hashem, from that, it'll go. Rabbi Neuberger just exposed it to him and guaranteed that that would happen. And that's what we would do. I mean, we have here people, this is a gathering of, of, of outreach professionals and, and leaders, and everybody wants help. And the best thing you can do, not only to help yourself, but to grow your Talmudim, to grow the people who you're working with, is bring them into the world of your achrayas. Clay Adlerstein, is leadership necessarily capped or limited by the Yerushalayim of the people that you're trying to lead? Max Fisher, who of course we all know was a great leader back in the day, said when you lead your troops into battle, you look back and you make sure they're following you. And Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said, leadership involves a delicate balance between patience and impatience. You go too fast and people resist. You go too slow and they become complacent. Transformation takes time and often more than a single generation. Is our community, is our, the leadership of our community necessarily capped by the Yerushalayim of the people who are being led? So I'm, I'm not sure I whether... I Rabbi Howard that question. It's <laughs> 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 okay. an inside joke. I'm, I'm not sure whether you, you mean Yerushalayim in its, in its technical... Form, in which case I think the answer is very simple. Uh, yes, it is capped by Yerushalayim. I think uh, any leadership in the Torah community, whether it's on the broadest level or on the smallest level, has to be thoroughly infused with Yerushalayim. The world's a complex place, and there are always more bad decisions that one can make than good decisions. Uh, without Yerushalayim, there is very little of value for the Jewish community. But I suspect from your follow-up, but by Yerushalayim, you meant Yerushalayim and its consequences and the way it's perceived in the broader community, which, if you weren't so diplomatic, you would say that the inner conservatism of the community, is that something that holds back leadership? Um, I'm going to give a simple approach because I've thought about it a long time uh, and essentially just give you a platitude. There are many, many, many problems that we face as a community that have reductionist answers, meaning it all comes down to one or two simple things. Just about every division in our community today 
is a question of facing modernity. How much of it do you face? How much of it do you keep out? How much of it do you try to balance? And when you look at all of the different solutions, you find out that they're all partial successes and partial failures. I don't think anyone can point the finger at any one community and say, these guys are so extreme, their methodology is clearly wrong. Then you take a look at your own house and you see that you're making maybe different mistakes, but just as odious mistakes. So there's a balance that you always need. There's a balance, theoretically, that you need between moving too quickly and moving too slowly. I would, I would argue that the rest of the world around us, we've seen this particularly in the last months, is, has gone from trotting to galloping, getting to the point that looking for an official imprimator saying there are no limits, you can go as far as you want, as fast as you want. This really goes back, if you think about it, to ancient Hellenism. And that in the Orthodox community today, we offer people from left to right two choices, going too fast or going too slow. I believe that the Torah response in a binary choice between going too fast and going too slow is that it is way better to go too slow than to go too fast. There'll be lots of people who'll complain that the amount of damage that you can do by going too quickly far outstrips the damage that you can do by taking a little while longer. Following well, we'll just keep with this topic, and then you can ask another question. Sure. I, really want to, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to share two um, vignettes that, that I was exposed to that go to the question of Yerushalayim in terms of leadership. And here I'm talking about great leadership, not just leadership on a modest basis, which everyone has a responsibility for. Um, the first vignette was uh, many, many of us particularly in, in this uh, gathering, either directly or indirectly, benefited enormously from Zev Olson, Allah Shalom. And uh, I had an incredible uh, blessing of having an enormous amount of interactions with him over the years, and I want to share with you one. It was Cholomai Pesach, and we were going on a walk. It was a two-hour walk. And uh, I started peppering him with questions, and uh, one of the questions I asked him was, so which rabbis have you ever respected? And uh, his answer was, really only one. I said, who's that? He says, Ravan Kotler. He was fire. He was unbelievable. And he was mashpia on me. I don't think he was used the word mashpia, but... That, that was... I have a lot in common with Zip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he gave me a checkbook. You have a checkbook also? <laughs> <laughs> so so I said, I said <clears throat> well, why? Well, what, what made him great? So he said to me, well, what do you think makes a person great? What do you think makes a person great? So I thought about it for a couple of moments, and then I came up with the answer I thought he was looking for, which is a person is great when they maximize their potential. And he says, that's not great. That's really good. I said, so what's great? He goes, great is somebody who transcends their potential. That's greatness. And now you say to yourself, well, what does that mean? If you don't have that potential, how do you do it? And the question comes down to your question, and that is, could you be a great leader without Yerushimayim? But if you believe that anything you're doing is really only with the power given to you by Kodesh Baruch Hu, then you really don't have a limitation in terms of your potential. And if you believe that, then you're able to transcend your potential and be a great leader. That's one 
thought. The second thought I want to share with you is a personal incident that happened to me, and this happens very frequently, that I find myself in meetings or discussions or decisions that I really have no shaykhahs to being involved in. It's like ridiculous that I'm part of this discussion. And, and those of you who know me are nodding their head. And <laughs> so I was at this meeting. And Which it was, <laughs> And uh, I, was, I was at this incredible meeting that was really, really critical. And the next day, one of my friends, this is a friend, one of my friends comes over to me and goes, Bain, you're a good guy, but what shaykhahs do you have to being involved in this decision? It's ridiculous. And I said, I'm going to tell you Misa. Misa Shahaya. Rashiva Ruderman Zatzal was once walking down the educational building hallway, and one of the Kyle kids runs over to the Rashiva and goes, Rashiva, Rashiva, I have Rashiva's picture. And she goes, I have a picture. We have my picture. He goes, Gedalim cards. I have Rashiva's picture. He goes, Gedalim cards? That's ridiculous. Let me see. He looks at the pictures. He goes, if they're Gedalim, I'm also Gadol. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, if you saw who else was in the meeting, you would be asking that question. <laughs> Michal Tversky used to tell us when we were in Yeshiva, we used to go spend our summers in Milwaukee, that in, in the Bali Musar used to focus on the primary source of most people's failings is Gaiva. Says he suspects that in contemporary America, the biggest source of people's failings is alleged anivas. People thinking that I'm going to take a cry. Who am I? I don't have the talent, I don't have the personality, I don't have the capability. It's false anivas. Because if you'd see who's in the room, you'd see that you are totally shy to it and can't use that excuse appropriately to excuse yourself from taking the responsibility. And if you have your Shemayim and you believe that anything you do is from the Kayach that HaKadosh Baruch gives you, then you have never an excuse to escape that responsibility. Ask the Rosh Hashiva, um, how, how do leaders deal with the constraints of their followers? Or do they? We have a Pasuk. The Pasuk says by a Melech, that a melech or the manic Israel says, I say, um, I think there are two elements to being effective, and they, and again, a lot of times they sort of contradict each other. Um, one is you will never take people further than you are, than you are really be'etzim. Because whether people know or don't know, you know, we, we may not know what the person does or doesn't do, but you can intuit. The, the sheer claim of the person. And that's why Rabbi Kotler, despite the fact that he had plenty of people who did not like him at all, but no one had a lack of respect for him. Um, because he, he didn't preach Torah. I mean, you know, he, 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 he breathed it himself. So the first thing is, you can only go as far as... That's one half of it. And the other half of it is the wisdom, like Rabbi Tzuk said, of knowing when to take a person, where to take a person, and... You know, um, the, the, the understanding of what they can handle. It says Moshe Rabbeinu gave the small sheep soft grass, and the older sheep tougher grass, and so on and so forth. It, it's, it's two almost opposite kohos. One is you need to be way beyond, and you need to understand the way these people. I saw, I, 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 there's Reb Shalnoch who put out the Ziva Sholem, the Slonmer Rebbe, was an incredibly beautiful writer. And he, um, and he wrote Akdamas, they put out all the Slanimus Farm. And one of the Svarim that he wrote was, uh, he, he printed, one of the Rebbe's, Shmuel, <coughs> he printed his Svarim, 
And he called him that he was a real roya. Shmuel, that, that was his yichud. And he brings two stories. One of them is not relevant. One is. He said he wouldn't learn Kabbalah on Fridays. On Fridays, he didn't learn Kabbalah. And why? Because he had a tish Friday night. And if his mindset would be in a place that the community is not, his divertor wouldn't be effective. There would be a disconnect. So Fridays, he, he um, we, we, I'm chayshish all week long, so I, I don't do it all week long. No, because, yeah, but, but, but under normal circumstances, it is, I, I want to take a personal note, and I, it's not a testimony, you're not giving a check of Moshe, but I want to point to Moshe as somebody who has, and I want to explain why. Not the president of you, I, it was a beautiful city-filled event, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. I've gotten the normal last few years. It's, it's, it's the things that are not seen, not known, we put out together call perspectives. It was it was a collective idea. The, the work fell on Moshe Bain because he's the most capable. And and he sits with every single one and goes with a red pen. What is the person saying? Why is he saying? What's it based on? Can you add to it? Can you clarify it? Which is the real uh, sort of the purpose of it? it that that's Tukhanachrais Baruch Hashem. He's not for the lack. He's we. we, we Three of us are paid to be leaders. We make parnas on it, and when you make parnas, you, you do what you have to do. And Moshe doesn't make his parnas from leadership. And, and the idea that, and, and be, the OU presidency is, 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 a, is a tip of an iceberg, and maybe, I don't, you know, I don't want to take away, but I don't know if that's the most important. So many other things where he felt there's a need. No one else is picking up. I can do it. And the best litmus test that, that, is, that is genuine is, it never makes that. Even Mishpacha didn't write about it. So, so <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, you know, that's, that's, that's the litmus test that it's real. And, and I, I, at the risk of embarrassing him um, and not being able to honor him at some dinner, I, 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 I want to point it out. That's, that's an example to me. Um, clo- closing, I, uh, well, I, I really want to ask about how or how rabbinic leaders coddle their adults and their congregants and don't give them the necessary to the that they need, but we really don't have time for that. <laughs> Make time. <laughs> we'll talk um, about it privately. <laughs> so, as a as a final thought, because I'm getting signs all over, we have five minutes, probably four minutes at this point. Are there changes in the broader Jewish community? There was an article, there was a book actually written by Alan Dershowitz a number of years ago, where he talked about the you know unfortunately the, the horrible horrible intermarriage rate. As we have empty seats at the table of the community table, I mean the broader Jewish community table federations, other organizations, how can we, or can we, assist the broader community in grooming their future leaders so that the community itself, our community, um, remains strong? Rabbi Adlerstein. Whoa. You have three minutes. <laughs> so the, the, the changes that are, that are coming are stagger the imagination. I think many people here are aware of the... Um, wasn't the Pew study? It was a follow-up to the Pew study that, uh, for the first time, really spelled things out. That the Jewish community is no longer. There's no talk of a Jewish community. We've broken up into at least two different communities, maybe more than that. Um, this has some really horrific, potentially horrific consequences for the community. What we're looking at is a serious erosion in the future of Jewish political clout. Because Jewish votes don't exist anymore. The Jewish community is fractionated. Jews don't talk to each other. They used to share some things. In the last couple of years, it's become apparent that there is nothing that Jews share anymore. They don't respect their history. 
They don't look at the present the same way. They don't have even an overlap of shared values. It's not the Holocaust. It's not Israel. It's nothing. Now, that is pretty scary. It's the first time that I recall coming to Asia where I could say something like that. To the best of my knowledge, which is very, very limited and narrow, there are only two things that you can do in a situation like that. One is, <coughs> to the best of your ability, you have to develop people who can at least speak the language of people on the other side. It doesn't come easy because it's not our native language. But there are other languages that we've learned. To some extent, there are some people in this room who will be capable of learning the language, of showing areas where what they, what is important to them, the Torah does even better. The other approach for those who can't do that is to understand that when you look at a society that is in chaos and breaking down, you can know for sure. This is not the way the Rebbe Shalom wanted a society to be. There are going to be consequences. Part of vision of the future is to figure out what are those consequences going to be? Which fault lines are going to show themselves first? Where are individuals and families going to show the breakdown of the new order and move to start programming to fill in? If we can't deal with the issues on their mind, at least we can provide the band-aids and eventually the real content that can reshape their lives and bring them closer to us. Moish Bain, the last word, as the leader of the OU, how do you <laughs> deal with the broader Jewish community on these kinds of issues? Well, the first thing I'd like to just talk about Rabbi Lapiansky's introductory comment, which is that <laughs> checks are not relevant. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't exactly understand your question. I, and, and Helping to fill the roles in the larger Jewish community as those things go out. So over the last five years... Um, number of the national secular Jewish organizations have been undertaking very strenuous effort to embrace the Orthodox community as part of their leadership, whether it's the Joint, the Federations, JCRP, all of the national umbrellas, for fear that there will not be a next generation of contributors and involved parties. And I think the Orthodox community has a fundamental choice to make. I, I made a presentation a few months ago to a, um, a, I don't know what it was, a, a group of uh, one of these high-end intellectual secular Jewish groups that wanted to understand orthodoxy. And one of them, my comments about the orthodox community, which I presented to them was, let me explain to you what you see and why you see it. And then I went on to explain to them what they don't see, which was more important. But I said, what do you see in the orthodox community? And these are all totally non-Orthodox, probably secular. I don't even know if they would even call themselves reform or conservative. I say, what you see is a very isolationist, self-centered, self-righteous, judgmental community. And they're all nodding their heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said... You speak that language. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I told them, let me explain to you why that's the case. I said, the reason that's the case is because anybody who's honest about the Jewish experience over the last 150 years would acknowledge that there has been an absolute outright war against orthodoxy. And most of the movements that were created, whether they were Zionism or Buddhism or others, were deliberate attempts to eliminate Torah and Yerushalayim from the character of the Jewish people. And in that kind of environment, there was no choice but for orthodoxy to withdraw and protect, protect itself and circle the wagons against these direct attacks by their brethren. And I said, but I'm seeing that that's no longer the case because... The Jewish community is so apathetic and so un, 
knowledgeable that they're not looking to attack orthodoxy anymore because they don't even know what it is. And they have nothing to, against Torah and, and halacha because they don't even know what it is. And I see, I see a direct correlation between that withdrawal and the emergence of orthodoxy being more and more involved in the broader Jewish community. And you find increasingly so, and many of us, for example, know that uh, you know, one of our chevra here, Howard Svi Friedman, was the president of APAC. And 20 years ago, that would be unimaginable for a Ben Torah to play that kind of role in the secular world. And others that are involved in leadership in the Orthodox community are very involved in federation, and 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been normative. And I think that inevitably, the Orthodox community, which is going to be the only last man standing, is going to have to stand up and take a chryas for areas that until now we've said, hey, we'll worry about the chadarim and the kailos because no one else, other people will worry about the social issue, issues of poverty and the like. I'm afraid that we're going to get to the point, as Rabbi Adlerstein is suggesting, that there's going to be no one else there except for the Orthodox community. And therefore, we're going to have to start, number one, undertaking, and number two, training ourselves to take a much broader degree of a chryas in a broader sense in American Judaism. I'm sorry, Rabbi Adlerstein. Hey, Rabbi Adlerstein, are we spreading ourselves too thin? <laughs> I, I just had to say, in deference to the fact that my boss spoke at the inauguration, it's not just the Czech that's irrelevant. The French is irrelevant. The German is irrelevant. Only the Slovenian is not irrelevant. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thirty six.